0: So this week on the podcast, I have back on my buddy, Sam Davis. Uh, So I got a chance to meet Sam. We've had him on the podcast once before. The guy is just an absolute killer with his bow in his hands. Uh, Every year, consistently successful. And uh, so I've kept in touch with Sam. We kept in touch throughout the summer. And I just wanted to get him back on the podcast and talk over his epic season he had uh, for elk and for mule deer and then he just does such a great job at diving into the details of these stocks and, and, and of his wind. And it just made for a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it. I really like Sam. He's a heck of a bow hunter. And I know you guys will enjoy it too. Make sure to check out his IG page. And then he also puts out some really good videos on his YouTube, Predators Never Quit. Uh, so make sure to check that out. And uh, thanks again to Sam. I also want to thank Sportsman's Warehouse for their support of the podcast. Uh, Sportsman's Warehouse, uh, they do a great job. Uh, They just have stores located all throughout the West, and they employ such a knowledgeable staff in each department, whether that's optics or rifle or archery. Uh, They've got all these staff members that are just as passionate as we are uh, about knowing their gear inside and out. They carry all the top brands, Zamberlin, Eberly, Stock, uh, Sig Sour Optics, you know, all these great supporters of the podcast. And the nice thing about Sportsman's Warehouse is you can go in and touch and feel the fabric. You can try on the clothes. You can look through the optics. Uh, You can shoot the bows. You can hold the rifles. You can touch and feel it. It's a real store. Uh, And so I just love that. I also love Sportsman's Warehouse because it's a place that I know I can get anything I need. So if I take off on a hunt or if I need to get something as I'm traveling to a hunt or if a piece of equipment breaks down on me, I know that I can always stop by a Sportsman's Warehouse. I can always search one. I can always get everything I need. I can stop and I can get my tags there if I'm going to an over-the-counter spot like AZ or something like that. Uh, I've also stopped and got a tripod adapter for my binoculars. Uh, So I have it down for that AZ where it's so crucial and critical to be glassing off your your tripod with your binos. So um, just a great store, knowledgeable staff, everything you could ever want or need for fishing or hunting, camping in there. Uh, And we really appreciate their support. So if you need anything uh, that relates to outdoors, make sure to go check out Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, also I want to thank Eastman's for their support of the podcast. Um, gosh, we've got some great magazines coming out. I just finished up an article I sent out. Oh gosh, now I put myself on the spot. I can hardly even remember what it was written about. <laughs> I, uh, it seems like I, like I write these articles and after I turn them in, uh, they're kind of, um, out of my mind. Um, let me, let me think what the heck. Oh, it was, uh this is a good one so pertinent for this type of year it's all about tag research and finding hunts and I just go through my process uh, of how I e-scout units how I find units and it it's just this process that I've um, evolved and adapted you know over the last 20 years of hunting all these different states and all these different units And uh, there's just uh, so much great information in there. So that'll be coming out in the next Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. Uh, We also have Eastman's Hunting Journal. I just finished up uh, articles for that for the most recent one where we did our Christmas picks and and what we learned this year. Um, It's just a great magazine. I love receiving this magazine uh, every month. And then I also love being able to uh, submit articles to it, my photos. I love the layout that those... um, that all the gals in there uh, give me an Eastman's. I, I send them a bunch of good pictures in an article and they put it together so well. it make me look so good. I love the subscriber stories, you know, reading articles from guys like Clint Casper, or Tony Treach, or, and, and I'm always, uh, I'm always impressed and when I see somebody new in there that's uh, submitted a story. And really that's how I got my start um, was from, eastman's hunting journals submitting subscriber stories and uh, submitting enough of them and getting noticed and being able to uh, make a do pro staff articles and um it's where it all started for me so uh, i definitely have a deep love for the the magazine and i'm just glad uh that they that they put out such top-end magazines for western hunting so much great information in there so make sure to check those out check out our videos uh uh, you can check out Eastman's hunting TV on YouTube or on the outdoor channel and, um, everything else we have going on, keeping busy. It's been a good thing. So, um, with that, man, I had just been, um, getting in my training, got that new V3 set up. That thing is just shooting. So I think I'll take that on that New Mexico hunt with me, uh, taking my family. Uh, we're going to go celebrate Christmas for a week or so and, um, then after that, shortly after that, the new year, be getting in my first hunt of 2021. And, and um, man, I'm really looking forward to it. Go chase some mule deer around with my bow. So I uh, hope you guys got a hunt coming up. Or maybe you guys are into tag season, which I equally enjoy. Uh, looking at, at, at what states I'm going to try to draw, what units, what species. Kind of planning out my season. And, and then also putting in for some some long shots some dream hunts, some sheep hunts, goat hunts, moose hunts, things of that nature. And also like really good elk units, really good deer units. Uh, You just don't know until you apply and getting my name in a hat has always worked out well for me. It seems like eventually I'll draw one of those good tags. So yeah, really enjoying the application season and um, taking my training to another level here. Uh, Just finding the motivation to, to work hard uh, to make my goals a reala- reality for 2021. So uh, I love the entire process, and um, it's been fun. That's what I've been working away at. So, uh, well, let's get into this podcast. This is a great one. My bow hunting brother, Sam Davis, um, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Okay, I've got my buddy Sam Davis back on my bow hunting brother. Uh, good to have you back on the show, man.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to so glad to be here, Brian. I'm, I'm glad to do it, man.
0: Oh, uh, you've had a heck of a season. You've been busy.
1: Yeah, it's just, it was a fun one. Um, yeah, it was it was it was as good as I would have hoped for. I put it that way. The deer hunting was was a challenge this year. I tried a few new things and went to new country, and the antelope hunting went well. And yeah, it, it's it's been great no complaints
0: oh right on yeah i know we visited before the season like um you kind of specialize in um kind of the foothills or or sage country for for bucks and this year you tried something new like uh hit the high country this year right
1: i did um you gave me the bug and talking to you they're listening to all of your podcasts and then all the other guys i've always i've lived in wyoming so i know that i'm actually spoiled that we do have some of the best high country deer and I've never ever went for it. And I mean, I'm as far away from in the the state that you can be from the high country deer. I'm literally in the Northeast corner and everybody goes to the Southwest to chase the high country bucks. But yeah, this year I went down there. Um, I spoke with you. I ran some ideas by you and I went into some country that we'd actually talked about and uh, man, I hit it hard and I got into the 29th of August and I counted it the 29th, the 30th, and the 31st, and I'll tell you what, I, I found a lot of bucks, but on the 31st of August, I found a bull elk that was bigger than any bull that I've ever shot, and I'm not going to lie, I, I had service up there, and I called my wife, and I was like, man, I just found the biggest bull that I've ever had a chance at, that I legit will have a chance at, and the biggest buck that i would seen, not that I'm a numbers guy, but I went down there with intentions of killing, like, a... Wanting to see that like next level. I don't, I, if I was going to put a number, I, I hate to put numbers on it because I really truly just like chasing big mature deer, but I was kind of looking for that upper echelon 170, 180 plus kind of deer is what I, and I'm not a score guy, but I just, I had that in my head. And so after three, four days of covering ridges, the biggest buck I'd seen was probably like a 160 deer. I'd seen 38 bucks, and the biggest deer I'd seen was like a 160, but I found a hammer of a bull elk on the 31st. And so he was just sitting in the back of my mind and I'm not going to lie, I hunted deer for one morning. And all I kept turning up was the same groups of bucks that I'd seen since the 29th of August. And I pulled out of the high country camp and I actually started chasing elk for the first four days of September is what I ended up doing. So it was a, it was a quick change in game plan, but that's what I ended up doing. And uh, so, yeah, it was, I guess that's just bow hunting. When you got two general tag pocket, two general tags in your pocket, you kind of just kind of go where it takes you. I guess.
0: Oh, you have to be opportunistic, and just being in the mountains or being in the hills, you tend to turn up animals. Sometimes, uh, it, it always seems like when you're hunting deer, you turn up good elk, and vice versa. And I remember Tony Treach had a good deer tag this year, and and uh, my buddy Dan had an elk tag, and kind of some of the same units, but not all the same units. And uh, Tony turned up just a huge bull down there looking for bucks and vice versa. Me and Dan had an elk tag or Dan had an elk tag I was helping. And uh, we kept turning up big bucks, you know, so we we were trading information with Tony. But it's funny how that works sometimes.
1: Uh, and and I, I felt bad because like I, all summer it was just I'm going to go chase deer. I'm going to go chase deer, deer, deer. Like I was just focused on deer. And I think. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've replayed this in my mind so many times. I spent so much time. I with the 29th, the 30th. I was glassing. I was covering country, running ridge lines, getting in basins, getting into secondary living, kind of like you always talked about. If like you're not finding up high, maybe getting that. So I was dropping down to secondary. I was dropping, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 feet, dropping in like secondary basins, literally sitting right in the timber. I was in the timber sometimes glassing back up. And there was about five, five basins that i could run and i hit them pretty hard and i found some good deer um the one deer that i found that was really good that i i watched i saw him on the 30th and then i found him again on the 31st and then i found him morning of september 1st i saw him three different times he had great forks all the way around he was probably as wide as his ears really good really good forks so like probably 10 11s but the thing that just kept fooling me is I I listened to that podcast you did with Dan Picard and you guys, he talked about talking to that biologist and the body size of those deer. And that just kept rolling through my head. Like I felt like he was a younger deer. I just didn't feel like he was super mature. Well, the second time I saw him, a buck stood up next to him. That was a straight two by two. And that deer had 75 to a hundred pounds of body weight on him. And I was like, that solidified it with me. I was like, I knew that that buck wasn't as big as I thought it was. Because when this big two-by-two two stood up next to him, it made that five-by-five five look like it. this uh, little three-year-old buck. I mean, the body size was unbelievably different. And so that's when I kind of decided, well, he's not that – when he was all by himself, he looked like that 175, kind of just that upper echelon, kind of what I went down there for. And the reason I guess that I say – that I was looking for a next level buck is because up in my home country in the sagebrush badlands kind of stuff that I enjoy hunting, I can find that 160 class deer, 170 class deer. And so I thought, if I'm down here hunting this hard and putting these miles on, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna do my justice and try and kill a good one. And I just didn't find the buck that I wanted to in those four days. And maybe I should have gave it more time. I don't, I don't, I kind of feel like I was a quitter. But that bull elk that I saw on the 31st, he got in my mind and. So I bailed out of there with my camp on my back, and I was literally past a guys. two that were coming in deer hunt. They were looking at me like I was an idiot because <laughs> it's opening day, and here I am with my camp loaded up my back. And uh, I ended up bailing off. I got to my pickup. I had to go around a mountain range, drive a long, long, long ways uh, mileage wise. And the next morning, I was set up, and I went up in there, and I I chased that bull for the next two and a half days, and man brian it was one of those things like i'd run it past you it was one of those things where i got up on him, and i'm usually a very aggressive kind of guy i don't like to call a whole bunch i'll call the locate and i got on this bull in a really tight tight canyon as far as like it wasn't that far across but uh you're dropping like 800 feet to get down 800 feet to get back up and then he was covering you know four to five miles of this canyon wall i mean he was covering a lot of country and i just there were two times where I, I sat on him all day trying to make an evening move on him to wait for the thermals to get right. And he slipped away from me. <clears throat> excuse me. He slipped away from me two different times at like that late afternoon, three o'clock time. He was getting out of there on September 2nd. He was moving and he wasn't making a sound. And then all of a sudden, I, was start, I started easing in there two different times at him. And where they had been bedded, I didn't find them, I didn't bump them. And all of a sudden across the canyon and a mile back up behind my hearing bugle and sound off. So I don't know what they were doing. I, was, I would run that by you as to what you think he was doing. It was like late afternoon when he should have been getting up to – he had quite a few cows. I videoed him. He had 33 cows with him. And he wouldn't make a sound after he bedded down. He was stone quiet all day. And then I was, you know, I wait and I wait and I wait trying to be this pet patient guy. And I moved in on him. And I got in there, like I said, probably at 9, 3 o'clock. I would say probably 5 o'clock by the time I got into their bed, still had good wind, and they were gone. I worked this rim all the way around, and that sucker slipped out of me two different days. He went two different ways, and he was a mile ahead of me, and I, I darkness beat me both times. And he never made a sound until it was almost dark. <laughs> and I was like, I got, I got beat by him. I did. A big general tag bull, and he beat me. But. I guess it was just that early season and he just wasn't hot. He was just more kind of sounding off once he, he got going, once he got up and was feeding and kind of, went, he was just kind of tending to his herd. And those were the last sounds I heard in the evening. So he kicked my butt. It, it all kicked my butt over there, but I, I had the best time ever. I think that was one of the best weeks I've ever had in the mountains, right? That opening week. So
0: oh, how cool. Yep. Yeah. Well, you're such a good deer hunter and elk hunter too. You're just a great bow hunter, but I I knew you'd turn bucks over there and have no problem. But I think it's good to like challenge yourself like that, like uh, to be able to hunt these different habitats and places that you're unfamiliar with and go in and figure it out. And yeah, you see a bull that's bigger than any bull you've ever killed and you've got a tag for it. That's kind of the struggle with us bow hunters. Elk are so thrilling to hunt. Um, so So once it gets to be September... We're definitely on borrowed time, and I usually make it to about September 10th, but I can't say I would have played that any different in your position with an elk tag in my pocket and a giant bull, and uh, man, who knows um, who knows what that bull is up to. I think your assessment is pretty spot on, I just that that early season where he's not too hot yet. And, and it's wild he was working so much of that canyon wall, like you say, five miles of that thing. So he was really traveling to his feeding and to his bedding. So just a mountain bull early in the season full of uh, piss and vinegar, you know, it sounds like. Uh, but but it's – yeah. I mean you gave it all you had trying to cut that bull off and make smart moves. And I think um, – you know, you've been successful like I have and a lot of our success, I mean, just from hearing you talk and knowing you is from being aggressive and giving yourself a chance. Like if you see a bull way off or a buck way off, like I'll just go for it just to give myself a chance because I think I can get there and I think I can kill that thing and and sometimes it's my downfall because i you know i'll go 3 miles and it's not a good scenario and i get in there and i bust that bull or bust that buck out of there so as i get older i try to play these scenarios more patient and still have that all in go for it attitude but waiting for the right situation and it sounds like that's exactly what you were doing on that bull that that you didn't play him as aggressive as you normally do or as you normally hunt that you wanted to him, play him patiently and really wait for your right opportunity to move in and kill that bull. And it sounds like he just never offered that to you.
1: It's exactly right. And yeah, exactly. Because I was I was being ultra aggressive in some ways. Like I think I was pushing it to the limit as far as how close I was hanging to him. You know, three hundred yards, and then I would almost make a move on him in the middle of the day because I I'd see a cow get up across this canyon wall from me. I'd see a cow get up and move and you know that country, where I, was at. I mean, it's straight up, it's straight down, you know exactly what I'm talking, and it's mule deer country, legit, I mean, really, and, but there it was a heavy timbered north-facing slope where they were hanging, and it was a big north-facing slope, so I, I would, I would just about, there was, if you look at my Onyx, and I got my tra- my tracks on it, it's funny, because you could see where I would, like, make a move, and I'd kind of, like, hesitate, and I'd back up, but then when I finally put the pedal to metal, and I, I did go, he just, he just outsmarted me two different times and went and like you, you just like you said yeah he was covering a bunch of country because water was a little scarce and that's what i was seeing him water but they were watering at two different places and they were like four four and a half miles apart and so the three days that i was on and he was watering on both ends of that he was running that whole ridge line with no pressure i mean i was the only guy in there and i never bumped him one time i never even bumped him just that's just what he was doing he was just just covering country And, uh, yeah, he, he, he had me beat on that hillside. I'm not going to lie. So I, uh, I've guns loaded for next year. Like, that's all I keep thinking about is it's a nine hour drive for me to get there. So next year is going to be a whole different game plan. If I roll down there, I, I, I figured I learned a lot too down there. I learned trails. I learned where elk trails were. I learned where deer trails were. I learned the easy spots. I found my water. So I'm ready for next year to go back down there, so it's it's one of those kind of feather-in-my-hat things. I feel like I learned a lot, and it was a very, very awesome trip.
0: Oh, good for you. Yeah, it sounds like you had a good takeaway from there. And yet, you know, country can be full of those bucks or good buck spots, but that doesn't always mean that there's an older buck in that location. He has to grow up and be seven, eight, nine years old, so... Uh, just like you stated, like, uh, 30 some bucks he spotted in there hunting, like that's good buck hunting. You just didn't turn up that, that one great big one. And maybe he wasn't even in that country this year, you know, maybe, uh, you know, he was he was farther down the range or, you know, who knows? It takes, uh, you know, it's, it's like the pyramid of population that you got to have so many two year old bucks so therefore, you have less three-year-old bucks, less four-year-old, less five-year-old, and it's a pyramid scale. And so once you get to that five years old and older, you got to look over a lot of bucks to find one of those things. And there's there's no doubt you were in the right country and covering country correctly. It just wasn't in there this year, didn't turn them up in those handful of days you were in there, but good on you, like challenging yourself going to a new area nine hours away and going and figuring out a new spot, man, kudos. And you, you did end up arrowing a really nice buck too
1: yeah so yeah i guess i guess i can just tell you kind of as the season progressed so that kind of rounded that trip out i'd been over there for like six days total seven days total i came home had to come home for a day regrouped and then on the morning of the fifth i drove I don't know, a couple hours two and a half hours another direction and i kind of got towards some badlands country that i like to hunt and it's a spot that i'm familiar with and uh I went in there and it happened to be, it was like September 5th and it was when it was like, it was September 6th. I don't know it was that end of that first week. Anyways, it was when it was like 102 or 103 degree day. And I even had some buddies text me and they're like, man, we're not hunting today. They actually went to work that day. And I was like, I got to go for it. I just, I, I had a hunt and I bailed in there and I got to a glassing point that I love to get to to look for mule deer. And I happened to spot an elk from that spot. And um on general tag bulls in wyoming i'm not the the pickiest guy if he's got six points he's probably i'm gonna chase him and uh i look at this bull and i can only see one antler and he's probably 700 800 yards away and i see just one antler and it's real open country and i'm trying to get spot and scope on him and he gets into the timber before i into some breaks before i can get to him and he doesn't come out he walks into a thicket and doesn't come out. I sit there for thirty minutes and he never comes out. I was like, wow, he bedded. And it was on this it was on a south facing slope, but it was in the thicket on a south facing slope. So he bedded on the sunny side of a hill in a cedar bush that was about I don't know, twenty feet by thirty feet, just a clump of trees. And so I had the wind and I just did a big circle and I started easing towards him and I literally set up a decoy and I started cow calling and immediately he bugled at from about three hundred and fifty yards and he bugled i cow called the guy waited a second i cow called again and he bugled again and i was like holy cow like this bull is he's wanting to play and he was no bugling at all going into it but i had nothing to lose out there i thought i would just try it sure enough he pokes his head out of that thicket at 350 yards and just starts slow walking to me 10 30 in the morning it's 100 degrees and he walked all the way to me <laughs> and i was like if this bull come to me i could see now he gets like 68 yards 69 yards and i dropped my range fire he i see so he has a club on his right side that like hangs down by his eye and i was like i've never killed a, a freak bull well then he turns his head and his left side's a small six point and like, he's a six point and he's coming and i was like if he gets under 30 yards i'm gonna try and take a shot and brian that bull just keeps walking and walking and walking and walking And at about eleven yards, he's staring right at the decoy. He bugles one time when he bugles that like club thing on his right hand side, covers his eyeball, and I just come to full draw when the wide open at eleven yards and sent it. And uh, that the the rest is history. He ran about eighty yards. I could see his leg started doing the wobbly leg and boom, he just he was he was it was over. It happened that fast. On the first morning I got home, back to my home country. I had a bull down by like eleven o'clock in the morning, so just goes to show like how fast things can change. And yeah, it was it was unbelievable, and um, it was awesome.
0: <laughs> Man, how cool! We um, yeah, that's so thrilling, dude. Eleven yards and put a perfect shot. And like you say, the first morning back to your home, Badlands country. I love how you refer to it as the Badlands because that really describes it well with all the coolies and canyons. Uh, good on you. And then hundred degree heat, you were by yourself, man. You had to bust it to get that bull out of there. I oh, bet.
1: Yeah, and so, and I was like seven miles in, so it wasn't like a gimme. So the first thing I did, he died on a south facing slope, sun shining on him. So I was able to grab a hold of him. I drug him the whole bull. I drug him about 15 20 yards down to where he was in the, in the shade of a tree. Took a couple quick, quick pictures. And then I started – what I did was I have a little tarp that I carry, a little piece of uh, like uh, house wrap, um, like uh, Tybex that I carry, a little like four by six, six-foot little chunk. And I ran down to the bottom of the draw. laid it down on the bottom of the draw, ditched my pack, ran back up, and I started just cutting quarters off with hair on as fast as I could. And I got all the quarters cut off, and I would r- throw them over my shoulder and run them about 250 yards down to the bottom of the draw and lay them on that Tyvex in the shade and run up, get another one, another one, next meat, back straps, tenderloins. I didn't even cut the head off. I went make made sure I ran all the meat down. So I got down to the bottom, and then I started skinning those quarters. Skinned each quarter, boned it out. As soon as I'd get it boned out in a game bag, then I'd get, I'd hike it up the other side of the hill to a big cedar tree that was on a north facing slope, hang it in the tree in the shade, and so on and so forth. I did that, got all the quarters hung up. There was a nice breeze in the shade. And so then what I did is I went up and I skinned the elk, completely skinned all of his, like his belly hide, all the stuff I wasn't going to use. And I didn't shoulder mount him. So I had all that neck hide and I made a like a tarp over that bush. So it was even ultra shaded so there wasn't even sun shining through the bush. I used the hide as a, a tarp, I guess. And uh, I felt good about it and a solid breeze. And then I cheated. I went and hiked out that night and let him sit overnight. And then the next morning I went in with horse, my horses. And cause it was about almost seven miles. So I went in with the horses and I loaded him up the next morning and brought him out and I had coolers with ice in them at my horse trailer when I got there. So it was, uh, it worked really slick. I mean, people always talked about the heat and getting nervous about that. And when I used to hunt up in Montana, up in the Missouri breaks country, it's hot too. I mean, you know, that, you know, it's a hundred degrees, 85 degrees and, I talked to the meat processor, this was back when I was in college, so I was 17, 18 years old, 19, and the guy always told us, he said, man, if you could take a pallet with you or anything to get that meat just up off the ground, say you can't hang it because the trees don't work, but if you can get it in the shade and up off the ground and get that airflow moving all around it, you're good, and get the bones out of it, and so I've always kind of went with that mantra, and it worked great, the meat's fine, I mean, we had elk tacos last night, so meat in the freezer, and it worked out great
0: yeah you're a pro uh like us bow hunters, we have to be good with our meat care with warm weather, and it's definitely like our biggest concern when you put down a a bull like that like the last respect is to make sure that you get out all that meat and i the same deal this year man i mean um killing a bull in 85 degree heat by myself you know it was like all of a sudden that little bit of panic starts to set in and like man i better get to it here you know and um but but exactly yeah. everything you stated is so true and also uh, i killed a buck this year in 90 degree heat and um i feel like you have a day you have that day that you kill him and you have that night and, and the, yep. the animal 95 or 96 degrees when you kill them. So as long as you can get that meat chilling and then just such important pieces that you're talking about that I just want to reiterate it. Like um, the the first thing, get the hide off them or get them to the shade like you did. Now, I skinned mine, got the quarters off, and I was lucky I was on a shaded hillside, so I had time to work. But get that hide okay. off them is, is the main thing. Get the hide. That holds in the heat and get those quarters off. And then just like you stated, I like to get the, that meat off the bone and then it isn't good enough to just set it on the ground because where you set it on the ground, all the moisture collects at the bottom and you can't get that dry skin around the meat. And that dry skin around the meat is what protects it. It like seals all the meat in. So it, it can't, it can't go back. It's part of the aging process, but that dry skin on it is what protects it. And so to get it hung up, to get it in the shade, like even my bowl, 85 degrees or like your bowl, hundred degree heat. And you were able to butcher it that day, get it shaded. That was really smart with the elk hide by the way, but yeah, find some really deep, dark shade like that, hang them up. Same thing with that buck I shot, uh, butchered him and we were really dehydrated. We had our camps and so far to go to the truck. It was like a, you know, I had to to look at my buddy and say, hey, this isn't smart to try to get this thing up and over this mountain and over to the truck. Let's just get ourselves out of here and I'll come in the next morning and get them from this other side. And it it worked perfectly. Hung them in the shade like that, got that skin around that meat. And it's really important when you hang them just to get that airflow all around them, you know, and get them in the shade. And then that night, they're going to cool down and chill really well. And a lot of the places we hunt will will cool off to 30, 40 degrees, which is great. If it's hotter like it was where you killed your bull or like where I killed mine, it wasn't getting that cold. It was like 50 degrees at night, but that's still it's enough up, to it. chill that meat and get it cooled down, and then just getting in first thing in the morning with your horses or like I did the next morning at daybreak. I was already in there grabbing that meat, and then another important piece you said is those – coolers full of ice like uh you know we don't have the luxury as being like warm weather bow hunters we don't get to hang our stuff in the garage or we don't get to hang it in the cold weather and age it it has to go right in the cooler to get it chilled you want to keep that meat below 50 degrees you know so yeah it's instantly you get them back to that cooler and get them on ice and it's amazing like hunting with my buddies in hawaii they kill axis deer in that 80 90 degree heat all the time and they get their meat on ice and I've just found with my meat on ice, like it's nice if you can prop it up out of the ice so it's not getting damp and wet. And then I actually like yep. to take my meat out of the cooler at night and hang it and get that skin around it. Um, even if the meat does get wet, you still have five days to get it butchered before anything bad happens. And like you said, I've never lost any meat, never lost any animal Every package I pull out of my freezer is just that great tasting, good organic meat, you know. So like obviously our our tactics work, but yeah, get it in that cooler, get it cooled off, have ice on it. And then once you have it iced, uh, you can even salt the ice to lower the freezing temperature a little bit and gain a little bit more. But once you have it on ice, man, you're good to go with it in that cooler. You got at least five, six days uh before you got to worry about anything and i don't like it to sit in the water for that long but uh, you do have time once nope. you get in the cooler but uh it sounds like you have the same process as i do and it it works perfectly in warm weather doesn't it
1: oh it works slick i like you say that keeping it off the water you know what i went to is i i carry i keep some in the bottom of my cooler i, I took some like four by four blocks of wood and i put them in the bottom of my cooler and then i put the ice lay the ice in between those. It's kind of, I leave the ice in bags and then I lay the ice in between those four by four blocks of wood. And then I, I save all the dog, my dog food bags, when my dogs go through a bag of dog food and they're a plastic, waterproof plastic. I lay that down there as a layer. And then I lay all that meat on top of that ice. And then that way it never gets wet and it sits on top of those four by fours, keep the, keep the meat up on top. So it kind of creates a shelf, but the ice is still right through that plastic touching my meat. So it keeps everything cool, but, That's the way that I found to keep it, keep the water out of it. I guess a little hack or a little trick If I'm sure guys do have cooler ideas, but that's what works for me is how I've got away with keeping the meat out of the water when it starts to melt. Is just by having those four by four blocks that holds that meat up and then I put that plastic barrier in between so the game bags never get wet. They just sit right above that ice and it's a constant chill and it works it works really good for me. That's how I, that's how I've done it.
0: Oh, that's so pro Sam. Yeah. I really like that. I, I do use the four by fours. I have that exact same system, but I haven't found the, the dog food bags is a good one to keep them dry and up and out of that ice. I like that. I'm going to have to steal that one, but uh, yeah, it's um you know, and, and, and you hear it all the time from hunters and um, you know, from from rifle hunters is they don't like to hunt until it gets cold and they you know and and good on those guys they're definitely concerned about meat care and getting all the meat the same as we are but they just don't hunt enough of that warm weather to know what they can get away with and what they can do and us guys that have so many of these warm weather bow hunts uh you you get your system pretty well dialed and just like you said I I've never lost any meat, and it always tastes good coming out of the freezer, and it, it just works for me, but you, you do have to be, uh, you, you do have to work fast, and you got to get that thing in the shade, and you got to get some air around it, and and it is a bit, bit stressful when it is that warm, you know, because you just don't want anything oh. to go wrong.
1: It is, and you know, it's funny to bring that back. You say, like, that little bit of stress hits you, right? Like, so then you're, like, hustling, and you're trying to be smart because you're wielding a razor sharp knife and you're always thinking about that because you're always rolling solo too and i'm solo a lot cutting up elk especially and you got that leg propped up over your shoulder and you got blood covering you and the thing this year is with that heat ryan i was really i was staying good and hydrated like I, i think i was so i rolled into this spot sometimes there's water sometimes there's not so i take six liters of water with me even for a day hunt just because the mileage and I go through a lot of water. I'm one of those guys that I wish I was a camel like you, but I can't do it, man. I need water. And I rolled in there with six liters of water. I shot that bull, and I bet I, the whole time I when I'd get down with a quarter, I'd grab a, my straw and take a drink out of my camelback. And uh, I probably went through about four liters in that whole process from hiking in in the morning, hunting, shooting him, yada, yada, doing all that. But I'm not going to lie. My abdominal muscles started cramping up on me. When I was – right when I got to, like, caping off his head, cleaning the, the hide off of his head and getting right, – putting that – just kind of cleaning up everything and getting everything tidied up to get out of there, my abdominal muscles – and I'm going to sound like a weenie. I've never had cramps – I'm a guy that cramps up pretty bad, but i would never had the abdominal cramps that were so tight that I couldn't relax them and i still had to hike out of there so here i am i started hiking out of there and you know i had everything set up for mule deer hunting too so i have a tripod i got my spot and scope because i don't hunt elk with a spot and scope just because of the weight but in this scenario i was hunting bull so i had my six five, I don't know, five pound spotting scope however much they weigh and tripods and cow elk decoys and i was set up loaded for bear and i'm hiking out of there and i hit the bottom and i got about two miles that's my pickup and I literally had to lay down face first on the ground with my arms out and just try and let my core relax because my abdominal muscles were cramping up so bad. they was doubling me over when I would bend over and then my quads would cramp. And it's the most severe I think I've ever pushed my body in the hydration. And I don't think that I was necessarily dehydrated as far as I just don't know if my body was had the right minerals in it. and man so i'm gonna tell you what i get home i start researching it and i went and bought me some of that liquid iv stuff and i used that the whole rest of the hunting season and i never even had a leg cramp after that but i know you ran long marathons and stuff and i'm not the ultra runner like you are but i pushed my body a lot and that day with that hundred and whatever degree heat it hit me the hardest i've ever been hit on a hunt i mean it was even when i got to my pickup I was laying against my tire of my truck. I couldn't even get in my truck. I had to run in with air conditioner on and I still couldn't even sit in the seat. Cause the angle of sitting in my seat was cramped on my stomach. <laughs> I sounded like such a wuss, but it was, it was one of those days. I was just like, Oh man, is it worth it? Like, no, it was just one of those ones where I was just so pissed off. I just couldn't just get in the truck and drive away and be happy. I was, I was a hurting unit for about the first 10 miles. And then my body started cooling down with that air conditioner and, Oh man, it was, but it was all like looking back and I can laugh about it now, but at that moment I was just like, God, this sucks so bad.
0: (laughs) Oh dude. Um. The worst, that gets scary too, doesn't it? When your body's acting up like that and not acting right and you're by yourself, like there's this bit of concern that waves over you. And like you say, you're such an active go-getter that you're always used to to counting on your body because it can get you anywhere and do anything. But boy, once you start to to, to ride that ragged edge or you start to ride that line like that. And same thing on my deer hunt getting out. I hadn't been that dehydrated since back in wrestling, you know, where my mouth was just so dry. Like all you can think about is water, you know? And um, yeah, definitely getting back to that. Like I knew I was pushing it that day. And uh, one time in Lanai coming out with a ram and hunting all day long. And I had a hundred ounces, which is three liters worth of water. And it was not enough. I ran out of water packing that Ram out of there. And I was dehydrated by the time I make it to the truck. But that gets scary when we, when we push it that far and that's not the goal, but uh, in hundred degree heat, like uh, it just kind of happens. It, you know, it wasn't like something that you've never done or something that you've never tackled or more miles or anything, but that heat just puts that extra exertion on you and your body and then working under a stressful situation and working on that elk and things, man, I I can see how it got you, but uh, it's, uh, we all need to be cognizant and try to listen to our bodies because you'd hate to get past the point of return, you know, and you didn't get there and I didn't get there, but we were both on the line, which makes you realize like, ah, oh, man, I'm, I'm pushing a little hard here. You know, I, uh, I, I need to, I need to be better prepared or, uh, make sure that I, that I treat these scenarios with the weight they deserve because yeah, once your body starts to give out on you, man, we're in bad shape. And like, just you sitting there against your tire with your truck and like, you finally made it like, man, that's scary <laughs> stuff when you can hardly, you can't even sit in your truck seat, you know, cause your abs are so, so cramped up. Oh, and I, I like that liquid IV. Yeah. Uh, I started taking salt tablets and I started taking okay. them years ago. Uh, they make salt tablets. Let's see. I got them from REI and they're salt tablets. Uh, actually a buddy Dennis, uh, recommended it to me, but I would run into that like ultra running. And, um, I did this yep. great big 50 miler this one time. And, um, I, I had, a uh, you know, I was taking in water, but you're right. You start to lose your salt uh, intake, and it's it's well known in ultra racing uh, that you have to take salt. You know that you have to keep those minerals going in. Same thing that liquid IVs giving you, and also like electrolytes and things of that nature. Like you can get it from yep. Gatorade yep. and different things of that like that. But just drinking water, like my body crashed on me, like it it crashed, like I've never had, like a exertion sickness where I was throwing up and I was I just could hardly even make it, you know, it it was um absolutely brutal. But those salt those salt tablets and the heat seemed to work, and I was taking those this year, and, and those seemed to really help. And I know that liquid IV that you're talking about, and that's a great product as well.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, and it's really salty tasting, so that makes sense. And that yeah, when I got home I literally was Googling it that night, the good old interwebs, and I was trying to figure out what I needed to do because you're so right. I'm glad you said it. It's and I know guys have had a lot worse things happen, but it's just one of those scenarios when you're so used to your body, I'm always a top performer. My body does whatever I ask for it. I mean, I go hard, I, I think I go hard. I go as hard as you know, as hard as I know. I mean I push my body and but I remember thinking that day when I was bent over like Quartering that elk, and when I was bent over, I I was sweating so profusely that it was dripping out of the end of the bill of my hat. And I remember thinking, "Man, I'm losing a bunch of water." And already the 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 rings on my hat were so white from salt. And I was like, "Man, I just remember looking at my hat, thinking this is a little different than normal. Like it's a it's more exertion, and that that it was totally just like I hadn't done before, but I had never done it in a sauna. I'd never done it in a (laughs) hundred two degree heat, and it was." Yeah, and it wasn't bad until the hike out, and like I said, it was like the last couple of miles, and I, I was six, seven, six, over, I don't know, six, seven miles in there, so my body held up, held up, held up, I was doing good, and then it's a severe climb down and up out of this kind of canyon at the end, and that last drop down, the down is what killed me. My quads started cramping, and then i bend over, and my abs started cramping, and I was just like, what is going on? But there's, yeah, there's little flashes that are, It just cramps don't sound like much, but man, it was one of those times where I was just like little flashes of, I I just got to take three steps at a time, three steps at a time, three steps at a time and just really willed myself through it. And then when I got to my truck, you're just like, all right, I'm safe, but my body didn't know I was at my truck. It was still just trying to shut down on me. (laughs) It was rough. Dude, that's so I got on with a bull elk. I got on with a bull elk. So it was, it was all worth it. It was all totally worth it.
0: Yeah, you earned it for sure. Yeah, uh, g- uh, good on you to power through. Like, um, you know, we can talk about it and tell the stories on the podcast, but being there is like a different feel. Like that, having that three steps at a time or ten steps at a time, or when you're packing out a bowl and it gets super difficult. Like, uh, it, it it's a test of human endurance to keep going, to keep your mind in the game, to keep your legs moving, you know. Uh, that's wild, man. Yeah, well, uh, they build us bow hunters tough for a reason, you know, because we need to be tough. And it isn't just to try to kill that thing. It's like once you kill them, then the real work starts, you know, yeah. trying to get them that's out of there. Pretty. and And that's the reason why we trained so hard to be prepared for those situations. So good on you. Filled your freezer full of an elk. And then, dude, you've had some other successes season too, right? Yeah. And
1: so I guess I didn't start off. Antelope season was a, it was a, it was in August. Um, I didn't, I guess I should have started off there. Um, So Antelope started off August 15th. We actually went out for my wife first. My wife, we did like a family trip and we just did a little voyage on opening morning i'm not even gonna lie my wife did her first stock she slips over the hill and her first stock first buck everything that she we put a put a move on and she hammers him at like 35 yards He runs 60 yards and piles up that's how our archery season started off so it was right out of the get-go we had our little girl with us she stayed with me three years old two and a half years old at the time she stays with dad and Peyton went and put the stock on she gets this buck so yeah, that's how the hunt, hunting season started, and that was a blast. I mean, just I, I uh, and having a kid now, it's it's changed the ball game. I mean, like there's a lot more to think about. Not that being married wasn't, but you had a baby on top of it, and a wife at home taking care of the kids. Like, there's a lot that goes through your mind when you're up in the mountains now. But so that was really fun to start off the whole adventure this year with the family, and then um, the next weekend I went down to a spot where I've hunted like the last. 15 16 years and me and my buddy had got really lucky and uh actually got on an antelope that was going to water. I headed him off and there's this, this really rolling sagebrush hills and I was able to there's you know, out in eastern Wyoming and Montana there's oil and gas roads everywhere and I literally got in the borrowed ditch of just a gas road, not like a methane or not like a like a county road, but a, a just a gas road that goes to a well. And I got in that ditch and I crawled down that ditch for about two hundred and fifty yards and I got ahead of a buck that was going to water, and it was one of those ones where the buck had no idea. And for an antelope to not know you're there, like that's like a dream of mine because it seems like every time you poke your head up to see where they are, to get a range, to do anything, they can be 300 yards out and those antelope will bust you. Well, this was one of those ones where he was just feeding, and it was such a drought year this year that anywhere there was green grass, we were seeing them. Well, this buck was in a little bit because there had been a little bit of rain. And so there was a little bit of green grass in this bottom, and this buck was just so intent on feeding. I was able to pop up. I got a range on him, at like 60, and then he just kept coming and coming. And I was able to shoot him at, I don't know, high 40s, low 50s. Anyways, right in there, and he had no idea I was there. So I had the complete surprise on him. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of those ones when he let the arrow go. It was He was hard quartering can't, to me a little bit. And I, I saw so, you know, the arrow, by the way it exited, I probably single lung livered him. And I was able to slip up and get a second arrow in him, but it went went as smooth as it could. I mean I was I was happy with the first shot. I just if I can get a second arrow in something then I dang sure do, and I was able to slip up and put another arrow in him, but yeah, that's how the honey season started off. It would off start off with a bang antelope honey.
0: Man, that uh that element of surprise is so important. And it's so difficult on the antelope, just like you stated. You just think about looking and those things catch you, you know. And and especially close range. You can even be like an elk or a deer, it seems like if you're holding still at close range, you know they usually don't pick you up or don't see you. Antelope will pick you up; they'll pick you up laying flat on the ground. You know they just see you, but yeah. that that element of surprise. That is that is such a key component to consistently killing animals, and if you can just get, it's like reading the terrain and the landscape and taking what they'll give you. But it's also tucking yourself into positions when they're approaching or when they're coming, trying to be in a good spot. And and you know, antelope country is wide open, but if there's a sagebrush or a a, a piece of brush or a ditch or a dip, just like that that closed road that you were on, like um anything like that but it that's just like playing the bow hunting game and, and keeping that element of surprise that is so key if you can do nothing else but always keep the element of surprise you'd kill a lot of animals
1: oh yeah it, it takes it takes so much stress off of you because you don't have to focus on you have no need not that you ever need to rush a shot but i don't care who you are if you know an animal sitting there and has you pegged there's that in the back of your head that's telling you pull that trigger pull that trigger because they're going to run so if you can eliminate that, your shot is going to be so much better too. When they still have their head down grazed, you know, they're looking the other way or whatever it is, and you can just pull, 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 and settle that pin. It, it usually breaks a lot better than when you just smash the trigger.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, good on you. Well, you started the season right, a couple antelope in the freezer. You, you you only get about 25 packs of meat, but they sure are good.
1: <laughs> yes, and ours is all breakfast sausage. That's that's our sausage for the years. That's what we do with the antelope breakfast sausage. And I guess we did part of one uh, Italian sausage this year, but yeah. So that's, that's like our specialty meats and then elk hunting. And then we, then I set off after deer and I was out in like the high Sage badlands country again. And man, this year it was just uh Wyoming. And I think, I don't know about you guys, but we were hit with a pretty hard drought this year. I think kind of all of the West was and so as far as like antler growth there was some there there was a lot of deer like like numbers were great but the antler growth was just it was it was it was okay i can't say it was horrible and i can't say it was great it was just kind of one of those years where i was literally just setting out. i'd already done my big beel deer trip now i was just settling in on i want to kill a really good buck as good as i can big mature old buck like let's just go find the oldest wisest guy out there and see if i can match wits with him kind of thing and um I looked over a lot of bucks this year i actually put more miles on deer hunting than i did elk hunting and it was fun i had some stocks that went good and i got to tell you about one stock i went in i found a buck uh really high and tight kind of like a buck i shot last year really good forks and i snuck up got the wind right sneak around him and it was one of those ones barney uh brian where you're like you're like playing the wind where it's coming over the top of the hill, but it's more like say the buck's right in front of you, but the wind's kind of doing a left to right. But it was still worth it. Where if I stayed just you know you know uh, 45 degrees off of him, I could slide up and the wind was gonna go or my scent cone was gonna go out in front of him and it wouldn't touch him. But it still was one of those ones where it was like am I am I playing the wind right or am I trying to kind of half-ass it I guess you know and but I I anyways I sneak up on the edge and I work my way over work my way over and I get to 27 yards from this buck and I should say 30 yards from the bush and he's bedded under. And uh, I'm sitting there and I sit there and sit there. And it's one of those things where it's just like, all right, now I'm in position. let let the games begin. And I sat there, got on him at nine 30 in the morning. And people are probably wondering, cause everybody's um, preaches the morning beds and they shift. Well, this buck was in a spot where he didn't need to get up until it wasn't going to be, it was going to be one o'clock probably before, I don't know, anywhere between eleven thirty and one before he got up to move. It was one of those beds where it was gonna be a warm day and I felt really good about his first bed. You know what I mean? Where they kinda they'll have one of those morning beds. It's just it's a deep, it's a deep dark pocket that they aren't gonna be getting up at ten. They aren't gonna be up at nine thirty and readjusting. Like it's a they're pretty settled in for a couple hours, you know what I mean? Yep. I and did. so I swung in, I got on him on that bed, and I sat there from nine thirty and at about eleven thirty he starts and he does another twitch and he does another twitch and i'm ready and i'm sitting there and i'm on him and about then he stands up well i gotta i can see everything from his, his legs up but right in front of me at about 10 12 yards there's a rock outcropping you know that's kind of hiding me from him i can still see him above it and it's one of those ones when you need to like put my 30 pin needs to be on that rock in front of me and uh but that's a it's a mind game and he's standing there and he's slightly quarter and two but he's still pretty much broadside i got a good shoulder i can see i'm at full draw and i eased that 30 pin down there and i must have set it on top of the rock and he was at 30 yards and i shot and i shot right over his back and i needed to drop that pin down to where it needed to be and i would have the arc of the arrow would have went over the rock like you know exactly what i'm talking about and instead i zipped it right over his back because i just couldn't put that 30 pin down in the dirt where it needed to be and so i watched that buck run away but that was one of those ones where i knew better especially two and a half hours there was no buck fever there was no none of that like i i knew what i needed to do but i didn't know how that rock was going to sit on his body once he stood and it 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 bit me so that's just one of those things like you practice all year and you Everybody wants a 29, 30 yard shot, I and mean, that's a chip shot, and I whiffed it. So I was kind of in the dumps, and you're just like, man. And I hadn't seen a lot of bucks, and this buck was a stud. He was a you know six years, five six year old, really pot bellied, big old flat head on him, just one of those big had big old floppy ears, and just I don't know, just one of those big mature bucks. And so he blows out, kind of runs down this big draw. Well, I go back around the back of the hillside. To get my boots and pack and kind of regroup by now all the shade has changed so all the any other deer that's out in this country is either moving to beds or has already moved to beds and no kidding i sit down put my boots on and with my naked eye at about 700 yards i catch some movement up in some rocks and i grab my vinyls real quick and it's a buck pine making his afternoon bed and i pull my vinyls up and it's boom it's a, another buck staying the exact same caliber of the buck i just missed but instead of being high and narrow he's kind of wide with shorter g2s but he's wide and i'm like wow that's a good buck so long story short i guess i flip around on him and this is one of those ones the wind's coming hard out of southeast and he's bedded on a north facing slope wind's coming hard out of southeast or excuse me southwest so but my approach from like coming straight up you know the typical come up over the top from behind him is uh not really going to work because he is going to catch wind of me he's got a little buck bedded out in the wide open about eight yards below him so it's hard to draw a picture anyways the way i decided to put a stock on him is really aggressive so i went from the stock that i sat for two and a half hours to an ultra aggressive stock and by this I came up and I came up in the saddle that would have been to the west of him. So due west of him, there was a saddle, and I knew my wind was going to carry through that saddle and shoot down. So it was going to miss him because he was bedded up above the saddle. But once I got around the edge of that hill, then it was probably going to be carrying right towards him or towards the buck that was below him. And so, But I knew by then I could be under 30 yards. So I took off and I get over there. I make sure that everything's looking good. I get into the saddle and i pulled the old south cox i had to take my pants off because my pants on the brush that was there was so loud here i am in my underwear <laughs> and i start start slipping around this hill start slipping around this hill and about i range the rock that the deer's laying under he's at 22 yards and just in the tips of his antlers everything's good still but i know the little buck is going to start winding me at any point the little buck so i range across the other side of the hill is 40 yards they're kind of their escape and about then no kidding the little buck jumps up And I don't even hesitate. I just come straight to full draw, and the big buck stands up, his butt's towards me. I can't get a shot, and he starts walking dead away, just kind of those big nervous steps. You know they take those big. He's looking at his buddy, taking those big nervous steps, and he walks down, and he doesn't make it to the forty yard mark. He makes it right to the bottom, kind of hard corner way. And he just stops, and he's looking at his buddy. And I was able to settle that thirty pin right on his shoulder, right behind his shoulder, and let an arrow fly, and. It hit him back, but he was hard, hard quartering. Once once he took off, I saw the angle of my arrow, and he was a little harder quartering than I saw, but it was okay because I aimed at that offside shoulder, and I felt really good about it, and I could see blood instantly once the arrow – when he took off running, the arrow was in him, I could see blood. So I felt really confident, but that's how that all went. And then uh, – Stop me if you ever want to interject because I can tell stories forever. But
0: Oh, no worries, <laughs> dude. That is so awesome. Like just the way you played that and described yeah. it. And, and you're right, like approaching these ridge lines like your first stalk on the buck and, and then even this approach on the buck where, you know, he's on the north side and you've got a south wind. Like it's blowing over top that ridge. And you've learned your lesson a hundred times probably like I have, like you cannot come right over the top with that wind going oh, over the top. Dude. I've tried to convince myself the wind's blowing over them before. It never is. It always washer <laughs> machines down in there. But the way you can play that is like you say, a Southwest wind and you approach from the West and then your wind's blowing out in front of them or behind them, whichever way he's laying or however that works. But the the wind is then still blowing over top the ridge but you're far enough down the ridge away from him, and where he doesn't catch that wind. And then I just love the whatever it takes attitude of stalking that buck in your underwear so it doesn't make noise on the brush. Uh, that's the attitude that kills bucks. Is like whatever it takes, whatever I have to do to get in range. And um, and then you're, you're I, I love how you describe the miss as well. Like having to throw your pin into that rock is so difficult. And so you weren't sure what shot you were going to get when the buck stood up. And it sounds like you could have hit that buck if you would have buried that 30 into that rock a little bit more and let that arc of that angle go right over the rock and sink into him. But you were nervous and set it right on the edge and shot over him. But that's like a – it's it's just a it, – it's good that you're so honest and, like, you share that with me and the audience because that stuff happens, man. It And it's it's like a it, – it's uh, getting into range of a of a trophy critter is one thing. Getting a good shot on one is a total different thing. Like uh, you can get into range, but a lot of times those animals don't stop where you want. They don't stand where you want. They get nervous or like the two-point wins you and then that buck's moving out of there. But it is you just did a, such a good job of being ready to capitalize on it and feeling where that buck was going to escape and which way he was going to go – coming to full draw as soon as the two points spooked and and then not trying to take that walking shot or that bad angle and waiting for that buck to stop down in that bottom, knowing he's going to stop and give you a shot and then putting a good arrow in him, man. Um, Yeah. You just, um, there's so many nuances to what you do as a bow hunter. Like uh, it's just so great to touch on a few of those things that, that helped you get that buck. Um, Did you, uh, did you capture any of those for your YouTube channel?
1: Yeah. So the antelope hunt, I did capture it. I got, you know, I, I I don't have like a lot of beats or whatever my YouTube channel and my hunts are just, they're pretty raw. They're, they're straight to the point, just showing what I love to do. I'm not the best editor or anything, but yeah, I got the antelope hunt on there and then and actually came together. I don't have it all edited up yet, but I have watched back some of the film and it came together really neat. I actually, it, it shows, it shows, I guess, just a lot of the aspects of what I'm talking about and, I don't know if it would help guys or if guys watch it if they think I'm an idiot or whatever, but it's just, I've had so many, you talk about things, you know, how they work out, man. I just, over the years, I've had so many blown opportunities. I've been hunting bowhunt since I was 15. And I've, I've blown so many more stocks than I've, than I've, than I've capitalized on. And I guess it's just cool to, to watch these videos back and these YouTube videos back. And to think, man, I actually like, I did, a, I made a right step right there. I did. That's exactly what I, what I practice or exactly what I think. And, so yeah, I, I do. I, I did – I will have a mule deer hunt up on my YouTube channel, and then I just – I had my antelope hunt. I didn't get my elk hunt on video. Um, I didn't pack my video camera in that day just because I didn't know how many miles I was going to cover, and I didn't want to pack the extra weight with everything I was. So, What's, but, what's yeah, your channel those, again, those, Sam? Uh, Predators Never Quit.
0: That's what I thought, yeah. Uh, great job capturing that. Yeah. That adds a whole nother degree of difficulty. Uh, I, I try to film quite a few of my hunts as well and I do solo and then, uh, buddies as well and, and try to capture videos. So I know the, the, the extra degree of difficulty, but that's so cool. So predators never quit. That's your YouTube channel.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's it. And it's just something I like, I think if anything too, I, I put that stuff on there and then, who knows, if YouTube's still around, my daughter can look at it and she can laugh and think what an idiot her dad was running around in his underwear chasing deer. Like, it's it's uh, it's gonna be, it's just kind of cool. And, you know, I like, get around my family, it's cool to show my family about my hunts because I tell my mom and stuff all my stories, but it's hard to illustrate that with the story sometimes. So it's kind of cool to pull out the YouTube and, and show them, to show them exactly what I do and what I love and what I'm so passionate
0: about. Oh, dude, it's such a great way to share it with family because you're right. We come home and we tell these stories, but it's different if they can actually see it and watch it in, in three dimension or on a, a TV or computer screen. So same thing with my family. It gives them a deeper appreciation for my love for it and then also what it takes and, and what it entails. So, yeah, dude, it's so cool you do that. Yeah, keep with it, man. You, you put out some great videos. Well, thanks, Brian.
1: I want to add, if, if anything to – if. If guys ever are listening or, or get any tips out of this or anything or it's it's funny i look back at i shot that deer and i took off blood trailing him i gave him time gave him an hour sat back i had service i was able to call my wife let her know hey did good got a deer got a good arrow in a deer you know have it i i hate making that call like yeah i killed one because bow hunting is so there's so many ups and downs and so i i was like got a good arrow in the buck. i'm gonna sit here i'm gonna eat some lunch and i'm gonna give him some time so i take off on the blood trail and it's a killer blood trail. Like I said, when the arrow hit him, I saw the blood. I followed him for about 100 yards, and he went out of sight and dropped off in the edge of this pretty big canyon. And I'm going along, and blood's good, blood's good. One of those ones where there's no, like, hands and knees, no, like, like it's literally you're walking down a blood trail. It's just walking them down. Got an arrow knocked, rocking out. Find my arrow, I had, like, 26, 27 inches of penetration. I was happy with that. Well I get down to this, like, cut, and it's literally like a, It's a cut and it starts being like some of that buck brush stuff. that's like six, eight feet high. And it just gets thicker as the further it goes down this draw. And it's a long draw, like, oh, half a mile long. And I'm like, man, he probably crawled down on that. And the last time I saw him, you know, that arrow was, it was back in the back of the rib cage, but it was so angled up in him. I mean, it was almost in front. I mean, it was in front of that offset shoulder. It was a very steep angle, but I liked it. I had really good blood. Long story short. I get down there, and I kind of, like, not run out of blood, but I'm like, man, I've went 150 yards. It always feels further to me when I'm blood trailing that I've went a lot further than I have. I have to stop sometimes and turn around and be like, oh, I really haven't went that far because I think the anticipation gets me. But I'm bebopping along, and I get down to the bottom of this cut, and I'm thinking, man, he probably went down in there. So I'm like, you know what? Time is always the, the better thing you can do. Just give, give them more time. More time is what they need. I've went 150 yards, so I t- literally take the bloody arrow. I stick it right in the blood trail. I have my tracks on the whole time, so I know where I'm standing. I go back. I get my backpack. I get my camera. I'm sitting on top of the ridge. I eat another snack. Give him like, 20 minutes. No kidding, Brian. If people would have been with me, they'd be like, God, such an idiot. I walk down to where I last was on blood. I put my arrow in my quiver, grab another good arrow out for a second shot or whatever. I literally step up on this like two foot little bench that was in front of me that I stuck my arrow in. And when I step up on that bench, I kick his foot. He was laying, he was dead right in front of where I'd stopped to turn around. He was laying right there, but that buck brush was so thick. I couldn't see him until I stepped up one more step and he was laying there that whole time. So kind of one of those things, it's like, you try, you strive so hard to be a good bow hunter, good blood trailer, doing all the stuff, right. And then Oh, man, I turned around and let him lay there for another 30 minutes while I was up there eating a Ritz cracker, and he was laying there the whole time, so I was, like, laughing at myself, but that's just kind of a funny ending to the story that not a lot of people know That's by myself one of those things it's like well there he was and he was laying there the whole time
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before where I turn back on a blood trail and decide to give him more time I've never had him one step away but I've definitely had him like where he's he's right there in you know where if I take five more steps I would have seen him you know but always better to err on the side of caution and make sure you get him but good on you man what a great buck what great season you've had so far and I I know you've helped a bunch of buddies out and helped with uh, family and friends and been in on your wife's success. And so, man, I just, uh, uh, congratulations on a great season, dude. It is always so fun to catch up with you. You just, you absolutely love it. Love it with every fiber in your being. And so, uh, that, that's why it's so fun to connect with you.
1: Well, thanks Brian. It's, it is, it's what I live for. I mean, it's family first and then it's bow hunting. That's, that's just what I love to do and I'm lucky that my wife likes to do it and yeah, we she got a nice spike. She killed a, she had one day of vacation this year and she was able to connect on a general over the counter tag. She killed a big old spike and we packed it out and we killed it. It was those general tags, they aren't always in the easiest spot. So it was fun. She got to pack out of a true kind of hellhole this year and so it was cool to see that and to have her have to work that hard and it was fun. It was it was a great bow season and I I do absolutely love it.
0: Dude, how cool. Well, one of these years we got to connect in person and share a hunt together. It'd be so fun.
1: Oh, for sure. That would be that would be a great time. Yeah. A great time.
0: Well, dude, I I can't thank you enough. I just uh like I say, I just love connecting with you. I love getting you on the podcast. Uh, uh your enthusiasm and love for it sure comes out on the mic. So, yeah, man. I appreciate you big time. Um I got your number. Let's keep in touch and um yeah, you got any more hunts coming up this year?
1: Yeah, um, I guess I have an extra whitetail tag, so up here in Wyoming, they'll have an le- uh, extra whitetail tag, so I, I do have that, and it opens up November 1st, and so I'm going to make a run and try and kill I'm kill a whitetail, I guess, I'm, I'm not a crazy, crazy whitetail hunter, because it's up here, around here, it's a lot of private land, and so you got to play that game a little bit, and it's hard to get on, there's all the outfitters and stuff, but yeah, I got a few places in mind, and I'm going to try chasing a whitetail, and Hopefully I can connect on, a, on on something like that. It's fun to always rattle them in. They're so aggressive. So I'm looking forward to that. That's November season, and it's coming up right around the corner
0: oh good for you you get to hunt them during the rut yeah well i'll be in your neck of the woods in that badlands country like over the border but uh i'd love to hunt that for the rut or um the breaks country or we got so much good country here in montana and that good general season tag so yeah i'm sure i'll be up in your neck of wood neck of the woods here before long chasing some rotten mule deer i just love that country and i love the mule deer it holds and um and like i say i like spending time in all different habitats from the mountains to the to the desert floor and everywhere in between and it's one of the beautiful things about hunting mule deer too is it takes us to so many great places but uh yeah man thanks again for sharing your story on the podcast
1: well thanks a lot for having me brian i really enjoyed it yep good luck to you the rest of the season man
0: oh thank you you too all right guys that's a wrap man that sam davis uh uh He's a great guy and a great bow hunter. I love these in-depth conversations and, and, um, he had a super season this year and it, it's just nice to talk it over and then dissect some of these scenarios and why they worked or why they didn't work. And some of the little things he did like, um, hunting in his underwear, <laughs> you know, it's, a uh, uh it, it's always fun to compare and contrast notes with another successful hunter and, um, I really like that guy, Sam. So thanks to him for taking the time and being on the podcast. I appreciate it. And thanks to Sportsman's Warehouse for their support. If you're in the market for anything outdoor-related, make sure to check out Sportsman's Warehouse where you can go touch, feel, look through it, try it on, uh, make sure it's going to be the right fit for you. Uh, Also, thanks to Eastman's, their support of the podcast, and thanks to you guys for support of the podcast, social media. I really appreciate it. And, um, man, that's a wrap uh, gosh, that's, uh, another podcast in the books. Um, man, I'm just getting ready to leave on this new Mexico hunt. Super excited for that thing. So, uh, see what we can do down there. Uh, got a lot of driving in front of me, like, um, uh, oh, take me 18 hours or so to get down there. So not quite as bad as the 24 hours down to Southern Arizona, but, um, it'll still be a poke. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Hoping I catch good roads, man. You catch gnarly roads, like a uh, it can almost double your drive time. It turn a sixteen hour drive into a thirty hour drive, pretty easy. Um, You know, icy roads are just all about you know slowing down and a, a good speed, controllable. And so, you just hope you hit dry roads the whole way down. It makes the trip so easy. If you hit icy and snowy roads the whole way down, man, it just makes for a nightmare. And um. I did hit that one year. Man, it was gnarly. Um, It wasn't quite the whole way down, but all the way from my house in Montana through Salt Lake was just so slick and icy. And then um, past Salt Lake even, uh, southern Utah, uh, it, it just made the trip that much longer. So hopefully hit good roads. I'm not very flexible on my dates this year. I mean, I can move things around by a day or two, but it's kind of like my tag takes place January 1st to the 15th. I, I got to get down there and hunt that thing. So we'll make it one way or another, but hopefully we get some good roads. And, um, that can be the most dangerous thing. You know, we talk about backcountry danger. Probably the most dangerous thing about a backcountry hunt is driving there, um, Making sure I'm not sleep deprived. I used to do that in my younger days, where I drive all night, and um, man, I don't like being on that edge. Uh, there, hey, once you start seeing shadow people, like it's time to pull over and get some sleep. Uh, the shadows start darting out in front of you. you. You're actually your brain is trying to fall asleep with your eyes open. You get so tired that your brain almost switches off even though you won't allow your eyes to close cuz you you know you can't fall asleep on the road that's a death sin so you keep your eyes open but your brain is so tired that it's trying to fall asleep with your eyes open and so you almost like lose focus like you're staring at the road and your eyes will almost go blurry like you can't even focus on the lines anymore and anymore i just pull over and i get some sleep and i've realized how important sleep is to overall health you know and I don't mind pushing it or being a little sleep deprived here or there um, but you know I want to lay it down and try to get at least five hours at night even if I'm on the road uh, you know I can just get in the back of my truck and take a nap but um, so important to get that sleep and sometimes I'll be on the road and I'll just stop for a couple hour nap but I try to get a good night's rest every night it's just it's where your body recovers and sleep deprived, just not as effective or efficient and it's not safe traveling that way so I just try to keep it really safe as I'm as I'm traveling across the country to all these different places and anymore you know it used to be you know I get more time which I'm fortunate to have where I don't have to push it as hard if it takes me another day to get there so be it I just want to get there safe and um so I you know that that gnarly drive back from um Montana this year that you know, took me about 12 hours It should have taken me seven was gnarly, man. It was so icy and so many big semi trucks jackknifed and, um, you know, rigs coming up out of control on the ice, man, that's spooky stuff. Um, so try to avoid that at all costs. But, uh, sometimes when you've got a wintertime hunt coming up or a late season hunt, you know, you're going to be dealing with some gnarly roads. So, um, hope for the best, uh, prepare for the worst. But excited to cut these legs loose and walk around with this bow and have a tag and have some days, uh, be spending it with my good buddy Dan. So we'll try to capture as much as we can down there and um and just have some fun. Uh this is what life's all about. Uh you know, so much a uh, uh of life, you know, we have to work to create this life that we want and um so we spend so much of our time and effort, you know, on on our jobs and on our work and I like that. Uh, it's fulfilling but I also have this passion, this love for the outdoors and the mountains and adventure, and that gets fulfilled through these hunts. And uh, just so fortunate that I'm able to go on these things and, and cut myself loose and not have to worry about um, other issues, you know, know that my family's taken care of, know that my jobs are taken care of, good people in place. Um, man, it's just absolutely awesome. I'm just so fortunate. So uh I'm gonna do my part, and my part is enjoying the entire process and every second of um, my passion that I get to enjoy. So, uh, well, thanks, you guys. I appreciate you. I'll uh, check in with you next week, and shouldn't be too long. And um, we'll have a an update from this um, late season hunt, and uh, hopefully, the update is uh, accompanied by uh, a picture of a giant dark horn rutted up muley. So, all right, guys. Thanks a bunch. We'll talk to you soon.